Like, what are you noticing about the next generation of young people that are coming out of cities like Hartford? I think the most important aspect of interacting with young people, young people, period, mm -hmm. is to be able to stop and listen. Because what we normally do as adults, and even even you know friends and so forth that we're constantly talking, and we do very little listening. Mm. And so I have found with developing relationships with young people in general um, throughout my um, time on this earth is to be able to be a good listener, mm. to be able to spend time to get to know uh, the young people that you're interacting with, uh, to be able to understand what it is they want to do and what their goals, and to be able just to have fun with them. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Trade Secrets by Triple Tote. Today I have a very special guest with me. Um, she's here to share her secrets to success. She's here to give you the pathways to understanding, you know, the power of your mind, the power of your emotions, and actually moving a business forward. Her name is Joanne Price. How's it going, Joanne? I'm fine. How are you? Everything is good. Um, thank you so much for doing the show today. My pleasure. Now, you have been successful in building a, a very good private equity you know, firm and helping people out with investing. But I want to really talk about you know, where you started. Going back as far as college, you know, what school did you go to? So I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C., and which I enjoyed immensely every day of it. And so that was the beginning of my path forward. Now at Howard, what did you like best about it? I know it's HBCU, so was that a real good experience from a college perspective, from a young black student perspective, from both? So I went to Howard University uh, primarily because my uncle went to Howard, so I had a chance to go to homecoming one summer. And when I, or one uh, fall, and when that happened, I knew immediately that I was destined for Howard University. Wow. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's the heritage, right? It's the heritage. It's the capstone. It's, uh, it was just a wonderful experience. When I myself attended Clark Atlanta University at the Atlanta, Atlanta University Center, which is comprised of Spelman, Morehouse, Clark Atlanta, and at that time, Morris Brown, before it, it shut down, there was a heritage. You're meeting people who are like third generation coming to the college because their father and their grandfather came. You know, when your uncles went there and, and they told you about the school, what things did they highlight that you later on experienced yourself? Well, he had pictures. He had been in the uh, in the military before going to Howard, so he had uh, pictures of, of all of his years at Howard, and I was able to enjoy that. And I was just excited to go. I had grown up in a in a uh, community that was primarily uh, Caucasian, mm -hmm. and um, and I just said to my mother, I needed a different experience. I was 
ready for a different experience. No. Now, where'd you grow up, actually? I grew up in North Wales, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, and I was one of 600 students um, graduating from high school. I was the only black student. Mm. And uh, the, the experience was a good experience. Yeah. That was, not, that was not a negative experience. It just was not a broad enough experience. And I knew that I, I knew I needed another phase, another um, experience, series of experiences in my life. Now, when you went to Howard, you were, of course, located, at least geographically, in D.C. Did you, from school, stay in D.C. and grow there for, like to start your careers, or did you move back? No, I met my husband at Howard University, uh, and we uh, got married, and we lived in Washington for uh, two years until he graduated from law school. His first uh, job out of law school was in Richmond, Virginia, and he was a state and gift tax attorney. Oh, nice. So off we went to, um, to Richmond, Virginia. I had my son in Richmond. We adopted a daughter uh, as well, and so my first years of marriage, uh, I was in Richmond, Virginia, and I worked for a community action agency, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, what do you guys focus on? I know there's a, a, a obviously a broader range of social issues, but that, that specific organization, what do you guys focus on the most? It was community service mm -hmm. uh, at that time, um, and, and, and the various things that we think about with respect to community, reaching out to the community, um, activities. Uh, it was a little bit more church-affiliated as well during that time, mm -hmm. um, bringing all the neighborhoods together uh, serving serving neighborhoods it was um, very service oriented I enjoyed every minute of it when you were in Howard also did you do a lot of community service work uh, no not really uh, not not at Howard I I was there I was um, no, not really. I stayed focused uh, at Howard University on just enjoying myself. But I must say that the best friends that I uh, was, I, I had, I have today, I met at Howard University. Yeah, I, I think I feel the same way, you know, just coming from, you know, our generation. I think my high school was more like a college to me. I uh, hung out with a group of guys and we were pretty good, pretty average as far as grades and go, but we were pretty good. And... When I got to college, I met specifically like two really good individuals, two good brothers, and um, my, you know, my my total um, circle right now of ten guys. They're all composed of guys I started high school with, and guys I did college with. So it, it does breed a, a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood when you're in those things. It does make a difference. Now, what was your major? Just for the last college question. My major was uh, liberal arts, and at Howard, and I was going to be a social worker. My mother always thought I was going to be a missionary, but that was not actually, I was not headed to the mission field, but I wanted <laughs> to be a social worker. And uh, while I was in college, I had the opportunity to be a Senate intern. Mm -hmm. um, and so when that happened, I said, well, since I'm in Washington, I, let me see if I can get a part-time job while I'm here, okay. which that happened. And then, so when I graduated from um, Howard, I was able to go on to the um, Senate staff full-time. So I kind of moved myself uh, ran out of school, which was a great experience yep. uh, at that time. Now, you're going to have me dig in now because when I announce you know, what you do, we're talking private equity, but you started out liberal arts, and most people that get into that field are like finance majors, economic majors. So we're going to take our time and figure out 
how you got from liberal arts to, to um, running a, a firm. What was the first like job that you got or position you started that got you on the road to um, understanding investments and finances and things of that nature? So my next, I would say career, I've had two careers. Okay. So my, my next career, my husband and I moved back to Washington. And then, then I was on the uh, on the um, legislative staff mm-hmm. uh, when I moved back, which was good. I, got, I had that opportunity. And while I was there, um, I handled and you know a lot of different legislative issues. It, it varied, but I also had a friend there at the time, and she was the counsel to the Senate Small Business Committee. And they had approached her uh, about running a a trade association, a relatively new trade association mm-hmm. uh, in Washington. And she asked if I would be interested in uh, coming with her uh, to run this new organization, relatively new organization. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? And and off we went. The funny thing about it was it was a, a, actually a, a starter. It was a starter organization, so to speak, uh, representing small business investment companies. Gotcha. And they were relatively new and developing at the time. And so my husband uh, often kids and says, yes, you know, and so she was the executive director and I was the deputy director Mm -hmm. and we had one other person. And so my husband used to tease me and say, yep, all, you know, all chiefs and no Indians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I definitely understand that. (laughs) But in any case, um, that was a beginning of a a very great career. I was at the Trade Association um, National, and it became the National Association. Association of Investment Companies, and it, and it has been built over time. Uh, but I was there, I don't know, 15 years. Whoa. And and what happened was all of the investment companies, they were all regulated and uh, and licensed by the Small Business Administration mm-hmm. at that time. They were small business investment companies. Gotcha. And there was a point where those investment companies wanted to be able to have access to larger and greater pools of capital. And in the course of that, they, it was felt that the association would be able to assist in, 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 in developing a new entity that would allow um, this organization to go out and basically provide back what the, so the association had the people mm-hmm. uh, they were they had successful um, companies that they were building just the capital piece was was missing mm-hmm. so we felt that if we were able to form an entity that could go to the marketplace primarily pension funds yeah. uh, to talk about uh, putting and investing more capital then that would allow these funds to grow what they wanted was to be able to approach institutional investors uh, to be able to allow them to raise additional capital. And so that was the, the, the change going into the private equity business. And so what, they, so what was done and what they were looking for with this new entity was a person that was going to run it. The, the trade association would have been able to provide data, information about what was going on and the success of some of these investment companies. But what happened was nobody actually wanted to sign on to this sort of new venture. Gotcha. And at the end of the day, the board came back and said, Joanne, you are going to have to do this. So during this time when, when you're helping basically restructure this um, community organization for small businesses, not just what's your role, but like 
what is your field? Are you the person like they just go to because they know you get things done? Are you in charge? Are you really just helping and then they rose you up to leadership? You're how did the trade association? Yeah, how did you so, go from? So, you know, trade associations, uh, you know, that's part of the business of Washington. That's right. Right, okay. So, the, the, the point here was the trade, associate, so the trade association was going to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the issue. This was initially just one initiative. And they were looking for someone to run this initiative. It's just that it was such a, it was it was new, it it was groundbreaking at the time. We were looking to go to uh, the pension fund sector to say that this group of investors, diverse investors, uh, can build successful companies and um, and 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 make money and return make a return on this investment you know, to institutional. So investors. when they selected you, why do you think they said, hey? Joanne, you got to go do like. What do you think they about not, you that stood out? They did not select me. What happened was is that no one was willing to do it at oh. that time, and so they came back and said, you know, Joanne, you are going to have to do this. Yeah. And I said, well, I was not interested in that at the time. I said, I will think about it. And so, so what made me ultimately do it was because I had a belief system mm. and I believed that this was the next step. I believed in the investment companies. I believed in the individuals who have been uh, building companies, investing in companies and, and building wealth for uh, a diverse uh, group of, of um, investment executives. And so that was the essential ingredient to making something um, happen and to be successful you have to have a belief system that's awesome and now I want to understand more I know you have the belief system in the fact that this opportunity is going to help a lot of people and nobody was willing to do it and you believed in it so you threw yourself in the ring in a way to make it happen coming out the other end of that and seeing like what was accomplished how did you feel about your role in accomplishing that like did you feel like it, i know you know it's not it wasn't all you but what did you learn about yourself during that process of molding that company which molded you well there were several things the first thing i understood is that to do anything like this, you have to have the collective will. Mm. You have to be able to have people work together uh, to be able to make something like that successful. Mm -hmm. No one ever does anything like that without having support. So when this was put together, uh, I, w I did both jobs. I was on the road marketing this new fund and I continued to be uh, president of the trade association at the time. And so we had to put together, we had to do uh, several things um, to kind of pull it all together mm -hmm. and, and to begin to get on the road and to, and to start this, this um, opportunity. But what was critical to being able to make this happen is dealing with the issue of failure. Because anything like this that you do, there is always the possibility of failure. Uh, and not, I don't even say it's not even a negative thing. It's just that it, it might have been before its time. Mm -hmm. uh, there might have been too many obstacles in the road. It could be just any number of things. And so you have to be able to deal with the fear of failure when you're doing something that's never been done before. So that was number one. The second thing is, as I said, it was a belief system. 
I believed in the fact that these investment executives were talented. I believe in the fact that uh, what we need to do as a people is to expand the opportunity set. That's right. Um, I, I, and I believed that it could be done. So once you have all those things in place, you just begin to hit the road and, and you get people to work with you. We had a strategic partner, which was in Connecticut, mm -hmm. which is why we ultimately uh, headquartered Fairview Capital in Connecticut. Gotcha. Um, but being on the road, it took two and a half years to raise the first fund. Mm. And um, it, was, it, was a, it was a labor of... of um, of tenacity in yeah. some ways, yeah. in some ways, and also it was a situation where you had to deal with the fact uh, that it could fail. Yeah, and that I think was an area when I stepped back to think about what enabled me to kind of just keep on going. I had a very supportive husband, though. He was fantastic every step of the way. That's awesome. Um, but I realized that, for me, my uh, curiosity, mm -hmm. I have an insatiable curiosity, uh, that was always more powerful than my fear of failure. And that enabled me to really just stick to it. Yeah. And to raise that first fund, it took two and a half years. Wow. And, you know, I traveled all over the country because, you know, um, uh, meeting and making the pitch to investors that this was an opportunity worth investing. So you get the seed to really get a solid foundation to form this company and, and have it um, have it be able to work to, to start. As you're building the company, like as you're in the company now that you start the funds, was it as brutal of a grind as the first two years was or was it easier or was it just different? It was different. Mm. I wasn't easier because once you had that first fund, um, then you had to get ready to do business. So the first thing, by the way, that I did is that uh, I felt that I needed a partner. Mm -hmm. And there was an um, individual within the trade association who was one of the investment company executives. And I approached him. Uh, we were having dinner, mm -hmm. actually. And he was talking about doing something um, different with, with, with his career at that point. And I'm, and I'm literally telling you, during the course of dinner, I was thinking about another partner. And immediately I looked at him and I said, would you be willing to be my partner? at Fairview. And obviously he said yes. No, he did not say <laughs> He did not. No, that's not his, no, he, that's not his personality, actually. He, oh, said, he was so shocked. But then, you know, he you know, gave it serious thought mm -hmm. and did, did serious due diligence mm -hmm. because, you know, something like this, you've got to be able to, to feel confident that the partnership was going to work. That's right. And so he did, you know, he did diligence for like six months. Wow. So by the time the fund was closed, by the time it, we were decided, we decided uh, as a team to um, headquarter in Connecticut uh, because we had a strategic partner, as I said, mm -hmm. um, he, he was ready to go. And 25 years later, we are still uh, partners. That's awesome. So it's so, a good decision. So now when I hear... On my part and his part. Oh, yeah, definitely on his part. <laughs> let me tell you, he would have never got um, the uh, experience, I'm sure, that he got with you just being sometimes an executive at a company, sharing those responsibilities with somebody who is as... We're equal partners. 
And, and, and I think that um, we did that purposely. I think that listening to your listening to your story, like one thing you hear about like your company is that public service is mandatory. Even though it may not be a written thing, that public service you really encourage all your people to help the communities around where they are and where the company is. And now for the first time getting the understanding that that's actually where you started. It all comes around full circle and then you know it just you just understand because you worked in a service that sometimes can be it can sometimes be um a thankless endeavor especially at the amount of um effort it takes to get things going to get people to cooperate nobody's making a ton of money so the incentive financially is not there it's about the purpose when you're dealing with a community organization more so than dollars and so leveraging that and understanding that and bringing it actually into a company i can understand the dynamic and how that can work out well for you and you yourself you still are always finding ways to be a benefit to the community specifically hartford you know which is the neighboring community to where your company is what is that like now um engaging these young people or even being a help being a facilitator for young people like what are you noticing about the next generation of young people that are coming out of cities like hartford i think the most important aspect of interacting with young people young people period mm -hmm. is to be able to stop and listen because what we normally do as adults and even even you know friends and so forth that we're constantly talking and we do very little listening mm. and so I have found with developing relationships with young people in general um, throughout my um, time on this earth is to be able to be a good listener mm. to be able to spend time to get to know uh, the young people that you're interacting with uh, to be able to understand what it is they want to do and what their goals and to be able just to have fun with them uh, right. everything is not a serious endeavor that's right and and to be able to do that to the point that they reach out they trust you um, they, they know that it's not going to be a constant you know, you should have done this, you should have done this, you mm -hmm. should have gone here, you should have gone there. And I don't normally give advice um, anyway unless it's asked for. So I'm careful about that, and, and people generally know that. So I have, I have over, over years, have um, been mentors to a lot of young people. Some of those young people are now, are now adults yeah. Um, yeah. all over the country. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think that's just, I think it's, it's sort of like a, it's like, like Brother Carl. Yeah. You know, he's Brother yeah. Carl to the adults, he's BC to mm -hmm. the young people. Mm -hmm. um, but in any case, he reaches everybody, all ages. It's, it's the most amazing thing. Yeah. So it, it's, it's how you relate to people and, and how you treat people. And, and I just think a lot of it has to do with listening to, to what, how they feel, what they're doing, what they want to do, 
and and then if they ask your opinion, they don't always want your opinion. True. They just want you to listen. Mm -hmm. But but eventually, if you do do that, they will also ask for your opinion. I, I think the great thing about what you're saying is that, like, you know, we. And, and I know you grew up at a time with no social media. And so now social media is doing a lot, right? So it's very impactful, whether people can point out some good, some bads, it's still impactful. But the one thread that I noticed through social media that works for people in general is that authenticity, and like you're saying, listening, um, these are things that when you're starting a business, they're the crux of your business, you know, your slide deck, your pitch deck, why are you different? And how do we know that you're gonna be able to pull this off? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got a great idea, but how do we know that you specifically are gonna be able to pull it off? And in front of an investor, you gotta explain that. Like, I'm gonna put it off even though it's my first rodeo, or I'm gonna pull it off even though my last company went under because of X, Y, or Z. And sometimes, you know, other adults who may not be as close to the community as you are, they forget that the same principles they teach when it comes to having a successful business are actually the same principles they need to deploy when dealing with youth. It's that be authentic. They're not judging you. You know what I mean? You don't have to, you know, it, it, sometimes it's so bad when um, I see adults, they pander and they pander in such an inauthentic way. It looks like they're about to trip and fall, physically trip and fall because they're just not being themselves. When kids want to know that there's all types of people out there, and I believe the kids in Hartford want to know that there's all type of people from Hartford and in the Hartford area, all types. So whether you want to be somebody that's doing investments or an artist or a doctor or an architect or you just want to be a person working a regular nine to five but being active in your community when you're not at work, we're all the same on a basic level. You know what I mean? And that's what I think I, I like about it. Now, now you and I are starting a, a, a great partnership for um, a movement to help youth, to acknowledge youth, to expose them, to help them showcase their own curiosities and give them um, the type of platform they need to just get their voice out. It's called Worldwide Voices. When you hear the term Worldwide Voices, the thing that we're working on, and you think about what it can do for the, 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 the kids in Hartford, what are some of the things you are looking forward to with that? I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say. I'm looking forward to the way they have to say it. I'm looking forward to allowing them and enabling them to be able to be free, um, to express themselves, and to even learn some new things and to see how that impacts them in their lives over time. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them build confidence uh, in themselves and to be self-assured. Uh, and I think that all of those things combined will be quite extraordinary. I love the fact that earlier you were saying how curiosity, your curiosity was always stronger than your fear of failure. Um, and I think that's really Im Im important because even when people are going for success and they're considered successful, we all have that gut check of fear when it comes to what if this doesn't work and all the different what ifs that come along with that side of things. How has curiosity, specifically that one trait, allowed you to just become as successful as you are? What specific things can you think of or times you could think of when you were looking at something in a different way from maybe people alongside you that really paid off when you saw it through? 
Well, growing up, I was in everybody's business. <laughs> Every age group, in and out, everybody's house. And I always wanted to be involved mm -hmm. in people's lives, whether they wanted me there or not. Yeah. So it was great, you know, growing up in a small town where you had about six or seven streets with um, people of color, mm -hmm. I was in everybody's house. Um, <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, that it's sort of like that uh, cat or dog that you leave out an extra mm -hmm. tray mm -hmm. because they may come by. Well, that was me. And I was, um, you know, up the street at Aunt Hester and Uncle John's, down, down the street at Cousin Betty's. I mean, these weren't all relatives, but, you know, Everybody mm -hmm. had a, a title, or next door to Gainsey, who was blind, and she wanted us to, you know, write letters for her. And so I just always had um, an insatiable curiosity about people, what they do. I was constantly asking questions, uh, even in it was a small town. So when you know when there was a fire, yeah. I would get on my bicycle and go to the fire. <laughs> I just had an, an insatiable curiosity about everything. So. That makes a difference because the the curiosity is not just the thing, it's the people that are that are a part of whatever's going on because because whatever you do, there they will there will always be people. That's right. And so that's how I have always been, and 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 it started as a very young person. Mm -hmm. So that's what I realized um, about myself. I was always in, and so I guess I was the predate. Of, of social media <laughs> because I was everywhere yeah. uh, and, and I was questioning all the time why do you think they're doing that or and, and I think what happens um, in my own experience growing up in, in, in these in these um, over white environments mm -hmm. um, and even though I was I was like our, our town was 30 miles outside of Philadelphia so mm -hmm. each town had you know black communities going toward Philadelphia it showed that my town was did not have that many so it's not so it's not that I didn't grow around uh, grow up around people of color my parents made sure that you know uh, their friends and you know made mm -hmm. sure that we had all that interaction so it wasn't that but my day-to-dayness was um, was all white and so I said, well, I might as well take advantage of this, too, you know, yeah. and I was all in their business, too. Yeah. Uh, why? Or why? Why are you thinking that? Well, why don't you want me here? Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to be able to go. Yeah. Um, and what, what is keeping me from being able to pursue this? I, I, it, I just always and I did not uh, I did not allow people to demean me in that way I, I just never allowed it and I never I don't know what about myself uh, that allowed that I had to give credit to my parents my grandparents um, you know growing up I guess they were always there mm. uh, at everything uh, I did you know the band the plays all that stuff where you think you know you're doing something great but you know it's kind of okay let's go to the school play let's go to this yeah, and yeah. You know, they were always there I don't know I cannot put my finger on what made my personality that 
totally external. Um, I don't know. But I do know that that's the way I was all of my life. When I had an opportunity to go to Haiti, I went on, on a mission trip, mm -hmm. and my parents said, well, you know, that's going to be pretty expensive. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll, you know, we'll sell this or sell that, whatever it was. And my cousin and I uh, did that, and we were able to kind of pull the money together, and they helped. And uh, when I came back from Haiti, I left all my clothes there. Mm -hmm. And my mother was unpacking. And she said, Joanne, where are your clothes? I said, Mom, I left them all in Haiti. She said, they, I said, they were so poor. Mm. I said, I, and I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. And she said, Joanne, do you realize that we are poor? I said, that may be true. I said, but not as poor as those people were. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it, it, it was always reaching out and being able to see what's going on and you know seeing what's going on you don't have to go a thousand miles away that's right you can go down the street that's right you can go across town mm -hmm. um, and I just I did I just never allowed boundaries to limit me I think what I'm what I'm what I'm picking up and I and I know it's probably hard for you to um, perceive this because I'm receiving your story but from the youngest of ages you were curious and then your curiosity led you a little bit forward, a little bit forward, a little bit forward. And then what happens internally, it seemed like you built momentum to where what would start out as small fears would still be a fear, but the experiences you had would always validate that. I, didn't, I never died from being curious. Like Nothing ever killed me, so this isn't going to kill me. So at the worst case scenario, you know it may not work, but it's not going to kill you. So then the other side is like, why not? And now you're saying that when you were talking to the grown-ups in your area, those of different races, when there was this idea that you don't belong or you shouldn't be there, you was like, why not me? And in business, now that's the main thing they're, the main thing they're teaching is like, instead of asking why me, ask why not me? Why can't I be in that position? Or, you know, it's, it's amazing to see you just tell your story and I see these themes popping up. So by the time, you know, you get this far along and by the time you start you know the um private equity firm is so ingrained in you on a subconscious level that it's almost like you love the action and i'm not going to live a life that's not going to have the action and your curiosity sparked that and now you're just like fruitful in that discovery of all you, and you're still curious because now you're reaching back to the kids and say hey what are y'all curious about what are y'all thinking it's like as long as you're that way you're always going to have the best experiences and you're always going to provide the best avenue for people who ever work with you or for you i'm also going to share in that experience with you and i think that's beautiful um i definitely want to thank you for coming out to the podcast today um i think the lighting dropped at the right time because it just put an explanation point on a great story and i think people who watch this episode or hear this episode or read this article they'll definitely get a real you know real baseline idea of what it takes to be successful and, and happy because i definitely understand that every time i interact with you you come off as just happy which is m the most important thing so thank you so much for coming on the show thank you awesome and thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of trade secrets by triple tote we'll have another episode for you guys next week thank you